Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Abram Goldfinger, who for the last 21 years has led the tech transfer program at New York University which was recently renamed Technology Opportunities and Ventures, or TOV. Currently, Abram serves as its Executive Director, Industrial Liaison, Technology Transfer. Prior to his time at NYU, Abram was the Director of Technology Transfer at Thomas Jefferson University, an academic medical center in Philadelphia. In his 30-plus years working in technology transfer, Abram has negotiated well over 1,000 license agreements and helped in the formation of over 200 startup companies, which have successfully brought dozens of products to market. Abram has a BS in electrical engineering from MIT and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and has also passed the patent bar exam. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Abram. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, Lisa. Well, thank you so much again, Abram, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here And Abram, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in New York City and at NYU? Uh, Sure. Um, So originally, I worked as an electrical engineer. Um, I did research in the MIT Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and a couple of electronics companies on machine vision and parallel processing computers. And at that time, I'd also done some part-time consulting work for a venture capital firm, analyzing technologies from the technical perspective. And that got me interested in the business side of technology uh, and led me to decide to go back to school to get um, a a business degree. And so I had gone to Wharton. And when I was with a focus there on entrepreneurial management, and when I was graduating there, I was looking for something involving technology and business. And at that time, uh, Thomas Jefferson University, which is a a medical school and hospital in Philadelphia, uh, was looking for someone in their technology transfer office. And at the time, I'd never even heard the term technology transfer. But when I read about what what the job was and what, what the office there did, it sounded like exactly what I wanted to do, playing a role in taking technology and translating it into business opportunities. Um, So I joined the tech transfer office there, and a couple of years later, um, I was made director of the office there when when the previous director went on to another opportunity. Um, And I worked there for a while, and then um, NYU was looking for someone to run their tech transfer office in the early 2000s, and um, it it gave me the opportunity to be part of a, a broader organization, whereas Jefferson was Uh, completely medical. Uh, NYU is both a a large medical school, as well as having broader programs in computer science, engineering, physics, you know, and other things, and and being a larger program. And so 
that sounded very exciting and it's um and i've been there ever since and it's it certainly has been exciting there's always new opportunities there and um certainly i've enjoyed tech transfer as a profession and obviously stayed with it for quite some time yeah you've had an amazing career in tech transfer and and i think that's a this is a good point to ask you abram um for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with tov at nyu can you tell us a little bit more about it uh, sure. So it's it's the tech transfer program at NYU, um, and, and it serves all of NYU, which includes um, a large medical school, uh, an engineering campus in Brooklyn, um, schools of, I guess, 18 or 20 schools by now in the uh, Washington Square area of, of New York City, including um, a dental school, physics, chemistry, biology, various other related disciplines, as well as our international campuses in Abu Dhabi and Shanghai. Uh, and so, again, we're the tech transfer office for the entire university. Um, we evaluate intellectual property coming out of the university uh, and look to forge um, relationships with industry so that the research at the university can be translated into actual products that could benefit people. Um, and and that that is what our mission is to translate uh, technology into products that can help people. Uh, also, besides the commercialization of our own technology, our office is also responsible for forging collaborations with industry. We negotiate all the industry-sponsored research agreements at the university, um, with the exception of clinical trials, and advise on the intellectual property provisions for clinical trial and foundation awards as well and also handle the numerous other ancillary agreements, such as uh, material transfer agreements, confidentiality agreements, et cetera. So, Abram, I also wanted to ask you if you could share with us some of the ways that TOV uh, has to invest in promising early-stage innovations that come out of the university. Uh, sure. Um, so, for 20, 25 years or so, we we had... Uh, a seed program called our Applied Research Support Fund, which made investments of fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars each in in the inventors' lab, generally to add value to the technology and to overcome a key hurdle or do a key experiment, uh, and that was fairly successful. Uh, over the years, it had a fifteen-to-one return in terms of the money. Uh, we invested in it and the subsequent licenses that came out of it and the royalty and other income that came from those licenses. Uh, but about maybe eight to 10 years ago, we started um, to realize that we needed to be a little bit more proactive about what we were doing. So, for example, on the therapeutics side, um, we, you know, whereas the pre prior program could give funding to the inventor's lab, Sometimes that wasn't the best place to spend the funds to advance a particular technology. So, for example, on the biotech side, the inventor might be the world's leading expert on, on say, the biology of a particular target, but have less expertise in developing an actual drug um, and not always doing the experiments that industry would value the most highly in terms of then taking it on from us. So we created something called our Therapeutics Alliances Group, and that could work more proactively. To, it established um, relationships with a network of contract research organizations. Uh, we retained uh, 
um, consultants, uh, such as medicinal chemistry consultants, which complemented the, the skills which RPIs might have. And so in some instances, we would directly still fund our, um, our own investigators. But in other instances, we'd fund work by contract research organizations or medicinal chemistry consultants to help develop actual lead compounds or at least getting closer to lead compounds and proving them out. And that proved, you know, that's to be very successful. Um, it allowed us to partner more quickly than we had in the past with uh, larger venture capital groups or pharmaceutical companies, uh, getting them interested in the technology because it's more proven out. Um, and so it enabled us to do a number of much larger funded in investments in our technology. And it's also led to more successful exit events and products moving into clinical trials. I mean, it's still early for products to actually come to market in the life of that program, but products have moved into clinical trials and the companies have had very successful exits. So, you know, as interim measures, those are certainly measures of success. Um, and also uh, what, we've, what we were also able to do to make the program a success is have more close alliances with, um, uh, with disease foundations and such, where because we were putting money directly into the program ourselves, it gave us much more credibility to get uh, funding from uh, various groups that, you know, that had a similar goal of curing diseases, you know, with particular interests. Um, so that's the Therapeutics Alliances Fund that we started. And then more recently, we've started a similar fund um, in the area of medical devices. Um, and so there, again, we're establishing a relationships with uh, contract manufacturers to help us do things like make prototypes, which, again, we have many ideas that come out of, um, you know, the, the minds of our surgeons who are treating patients every day and observe that there's a need and an idea for something better to satisfy that need. Um, but working together with funding outside groups to make prototypes, for example, or to further test those devices, uh, again, it's a, it's a very good partnership and enables us to add significant value to the technology. Um, and then a couple of other things we've done more recently, uh, we've established a biomedical entrepreneurship program. And so that's more of a training program where we work with our postdocs and our um, later year grad students to give them training in entrepreneurship, uh, you know, to help them to form companies, to let them know what's involved in creating a company, uh, for uh, establishing and building teams. Uh, and that's been, you know, one of our challenges is finding the right entrepreneur or the, the right person to lead a particular um, startup company opportunity. So when you can take the person who's actually been working on it for many years and has an entrepreneurial bent, if you can, you know, give them some additional training and guidance, uh, th they can be the person to take it forward at least to the next step and possibly beyond. And then finally, um, to go even further than that, uh, you know, realizing that our existing, the existing programs we've had have all funded work within the university or um, with directly with contractors. But to, uh, up till just recently, uh, our office had not been putting money directly into the companies that were being formed. 
um, to, to commercialize the technology. And so just this past year, we at the medical school, we created uh, the NYU Langone Health Venture Fund. And that is now able to put money, to invest money directly uh, into the companies. And uh, with the goal of, first of all, helping them in the early stages, showing our commitment to them, you know, after appropriate vetting and analysis, um, helping them in their initial fundraising, you know, and showing the university's belief and commitment in them. So it has that potential. And ultimately, if if they succeed, it gives the university a bit more of a stake in the company, which, you know, if successful, you know, provides us with more funds that we could plow back into further research at the university. Well, that was very impressive, Abram. And um, I want to go back to your office for a second um, and ask you, can you share with us how many people are on your team and how your office is structured? Uh, sure. So it's it's a growing office and there are additional positions we hope to be adding soon. Uh, but presently, let me see, I think it's three people in our IP group, uh, five in our contracts group, six in our business development group, uh, six in finance and operations, and one um, in our therapeutics group overseeing the various CROs. Uh, so I believe that adds up to 21 uh, 21 people currently. And, and again, as I mentioned, it's uh, growing and we'll probably be adding some additional positions in, in the very near future. Yeah, that's a pretty sizable office. And so given that, I wanted to ask um, how many invention disclosures, patent filings, options, licenses, and startups have come out of TOV in the last year or last few years? Uh, right. So last year, we got 222 invention disclosures into our office, um, and we filed 88 provisional patent applications on those. So it's that's roughly 40 percent. And I, I think historically it's been about 40 to 50 percent that we might file on. Um, and then there are also follow on, you know, non-provisional applications, uh, foreign applications and such. I believe we filed about 85 um, follow on U.S. applications and a number of foreign applications. And we signed uh, 78 new license agreements last year. Um, and had seven and of those 17 were with startup companies that we had helped to create. Yeah, that's that's an impressive set of numbers. So given that, Abram, I wanted to ask you what you think is the key to success in technology transfer. So I, I think the most important thing is having a good long term relationships with the companies that you work with. Um, and that's both at you know, our the tech transfer level and organizational level. And maybe even more importantly, at the scientist to scientist level. Um, so our biggest successes at NYU have come from st smaller startup companies. Um, and that's particularly on the biotech side. Uh, but but really, no, on, on both sides, really, that's where it's come from. On, on the biotech side, certainly it takes a long time to develop drugs. And our two big, most successful drugs from the time we signed the agreement to the time the product came to market, one was 14 years and one was 15 years. And during that time, you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing the entire way. There were ups and downs. Companies, you know, might have gone through fi financing difficulties. Um, there were technical hurdles along the way. And the fact that the scientists, you know, at our institution and the scientific, scientific founders of the company had close working relationships 
you know, always kept things on on a good footing, that um, we were always in it together. And then at our offices level, you know, we showed the flexibility where needed um, if an agreement that we originally negotiated needed some modifications to help the company succeed. Uh, you know, we were willing to do that because ultimately we, we want a win-win relationship. You know, we want to make sure that the company stays committed to the technology and keeps diligently developing it. But if there are challenges along the way, we want to work with them um, so that when they, you know, they can succeed and then we'll succeed. Yeah. And keeping on that theme of startups, I wanted to ask you, um, can you tell us how TOV supports startup companies that come out of the university? Uh, sure. So I, I think I mentioned, you know, several of the funding mechanisms we have. So that's obviously one direct way um, that that we're supporting the companies. And, you know, some of those funding mechanisms take place before we start the company, but others continue even as the company is being started, you know, in, in its early stages when when it's a meaningful amount of resources being committed. I mean, ultimately, it might grow beyond that. But in the early stages, you know, those funding mechanisms can be an important piece of it. Um, we also help to make connections with investors. Um, you know, over the years, we've established relationships with many different individual investor groups and larger venture capital groups and industry. And so we'll help to make introductions um, for our companies. And um, and then we'll also work with them um, you know, some of them that might need more help, you know, again, some are created by very large venture capital firms and are well managed from the start, but others are more bootstrapped by our former postdocs and grad students and will, or, or even faculty, um, you know, that are not as familiar with some of the commercialization aspects. So we'll work closely with them. We're, we're always there to talk through with them opportunities they have and help in their decision-making process where that's uh, helpful. Uh, we'll often sit as advisors on the boards of uh, companies. We, we typically don't take uh, formal board seats, but we'll often have um, observer rights. And, and whether we formally have that or not, we're there to work with them and give advice you know, on how they can best move forward. And then, as I mentioned, we try to... Um, structure the various agreements with deal terms that work for a small company. So typically, we won't ask for you know any significant license fees up front. If it's a very small company, you know we can delay even getting reimbursements for patent expenses up front um, and ultimately structure it again, win-win that you know we take an equity stake um, and in, in in various industries, uh, a royalty as well. That when the company succeeds, uh, we'll succeed, but we won't burden the company in its early years. And Abram, I want to go back and also ask you. Um, you touched on a little bit about external slash corporate partners earlier. Um, I wanted to ask you: Could you give us some examples of some relationships that TOV or the university has with industry and and some venture partners? Uh, sure. Um, so there have been a number of different kinds of relationships. Um, in recent years, we've had a growing number of master agreements with larger companies that allow them to fund multiple research projects at NYU uh, without the need um, to, um, to go through the whole negotiation process each time. Um, so take I, I've mostly spoken about some of our biotech products so far, but on the engineering side, 
Uh, they've tended to relate more to enabling technologies um, and involve non-exclusive licensing because that's what's more accepted in those industries. And in some instances, we've created consortia even of multiple companies. Um, so those are less likely to lead to royalty-bearing products for us, but they advance the technology, you know, which, which is often built on on many, many incremental uh, advances, you know, when you're talking about the computer industry or various other engineering industries. And it gives our students valuable real-world research and engineering experience, um, you know, which is value to our mission as an educational institution, you know, as well as advancing uh, the research and technology. Um, and then on the biopharma side, uh, the, the collaborations tend to be more product-specific. And I, I would say that the most successful of those involve not just funding, but pairing our researchers with research teams at the company with regular interactions to ensure that the research stays focused, both on our side on, and on their side. So um, we, we've seen that where it's been a very close collaboration with, in, in many cases, proximity, you know, even geographical proximity, um, but but where the researchers at both um, the institution and the company are seeing each other regularly, uh, it's been much more productive than when, you know, it's just that we get a check and give it to the lab and the lab goes off for six months to a year working on it and then comes back with results. It's it's much more, you know, much more productive and we've seen much better results in these closer kinds of interactions, which which we've had in the coming year, in, in the recent years. Um, and then we, we've also had a number, there are a number of VC firms that um, in particular have been more proactive in providing R&D teams to incubate projects in, similarly in collaboration with our researchers. So um, that's also been a trend we've seen more in the last uh, several years. So there's a couple of firms that, uh, again, don't just create independent companies, but They've got teams and can create, you know, one company after another, and we've done a number of relationships uh, with them, you know, which have been successful with products moving into, uh, again, moving into clinical trials and, and exit events occurring as values have been created. So I also wanted to ask you about philanthropic organizations or government organizations. I'm, I'm assuming you've had some um, interaction with those types of, of groups and organizations as well. Yes, certainly. So I, I guess philanthropically first, um, disease foundations have certainly played a growing role in our drug development um, efforts, and they've co-funded a number of projects with our Therapeutics Alliances program that I had mentioned. Um, and they, they uh, in addition to providing funding, they also can establish relationships with other research groups that provide complementary um, efforts and and even have some case in some of their cases can fund the companies that created that get created after um, you know once we start companies based on the early research they funded. So that's certainly been um, a very positive trend, maybe in the last five to ten years or so. Um, and then on the government side, uh, certainly of course the federal government funds the bulk of university research in this country. And then their SBIR program has, in many cases, been the very first, quote, venture capital into our startup companies. As I mentioned, a number of our startup companies are very well funded by large VC firms with tens of millions of dollars in funding from their inception. 
But we've had other startups that are created by our graduating grad students or postdocs that bootstrapped themselves first with SBIR funding, which then led to angel funding, which then led to larger investor funding, and ultimately led to some very successful outcomes. Um, in a couple of cases, being acquired by large pharmaceutical firms and with the products moving into clinical trials, you know, so that it's ultimately helping patients. So, um, so certainly that's been a very helpful um, effort to, to um, go along with ours. And then more locally, state and local groups such as um, the New York City Economic Development Corporation played a major role over the last two decades in building the tech and then the biotech sectors in New York City uh, through things like the support of new incubators, new investment funds, and various other initiatives. So the um, the environment we're working in in New York City is certainly much more conducive to doing startups uh, than it was, say, two decades ago. And, and the, you know, again, the state and, and city governments played a major role in, in making that happen. Now, Abram, you've mentioned a couple of times some of the success stories you've had, um, some that took uh, quite a long period of time. But did you want to give us some specific examples of some success stories, uh, whether they're successful technologies or startups? Sure. Um, so I guess on the product side, our, our two most successful products are a drug called Remicade, um, which um, we developed together with Centacore, which ultimately became part of Johnson & Johnson. Uh, which is um, uh, a TNF inhibitor that treats um, rheumatoid arthritis and various other inflammatory diseases. Uh, and then our um, another one is Sutent, uh, which is an anti-cancer drug that we developed uh, together with a startup company we had created called Sugen, uh, which ultimately was acquired by Pfizer, which brought the product to market. Uh, so those were very successful drugs. They've um, collectively treated many millions of patients, again, going back to our, um, you know, our mission of, of trying to improve society. Uh, so they've had a major beneficial impact um, as well as, of course, um, a financial impact for, for the companies uh, that we worked with on them uh, and the university, again, allowing us to um, invest more in, in building up our research. And then more recently, we uh, start up um, out of NYU named Opentrons, which developed um, robotic systems for um, doing lab, uh, various types of lab analysis. Uh, when the COVID epidemic hit, um, they created a subsidiary called Pandemic Response Labs together with one of our, one of our scientists at, at the university. And they were able to come out with a rapid COVID test um, that's uh, I guess it's many millions of tests have currently been performed, um, and it's been um, it, it had a significant positive impact as New York City reopened and people were going back to work. But there was the need for uh, testing to make sure that that was being done safely. You know, it was very gratifying to see that NYU technology played a role in making that happen. So, um, you, you know, that's just in the past year a very recent success story. Um, just to give some other kinds of examples, um, on the biotech side, we did NYU did pioneering research in malaria vaccines, and just recently, uh, based on this work, uh, a malaria vaccine uh, was approved and recommended for distribution um, in Africa 
uh, by the World Health Organization. That's great. Yeah. So that's one where as we structured it, we actually won't receive royalties on it. But 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 again, that's not always the, the goal in this. The goal first is to, to save lives and, you know, where it generates revenue. Great. But this also is going to help many millions of people. And, you know, we needed to structure it in a way that, um, you know, would be more conducive to, you know, to allowing this to happen. And that's what we did to make sure that it did happen. Um, so that's another example that we're very proud of. And then, you know, more broad out of the biotech sector, um, we've created numerous startups focusing on software and electronics. Um, and those, you know, that's a very different kind of market. And it's been very successful in the aggregate in that we've seen a lot of these companies bring products to market in just two or three years and have had successful exits. Um and all told, I guess over the last three years, we've done 52 startups and had eight successful exits, you know, with when many more potential exits, you know, coming in the next few years. So being able to work, um, I guess, quickly and flexibly, you know, whatever it takes to get the technology out there, that's that's what we've been trying to do. And it's gratifying to see that, you know, that products are coming to market based on our technologies. Yeah, absolutely. And it it sounds like you've done a fantastic job, but um, with success also comes challenges. So I'm curious, uh, Abram, what are some of the TOV's biggest challenges? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, what, what's always been a bit of a challenge is, ident- you know, again, I would say our successes have come predominantly from startups. And so finding the right entrepreneur to work with our startup and to lead it has always been a bit of a challenge. Um, I mean, current funding environments go up and down. Currently, the funding environments for startups is is actually pretty good, but you need good management for them to attract that capital. And so, um, you know, one of the ways we've tried to address that um, challenge is through building our own, you know, educating our own entrepreneurs, both through our own efforts that I'd mentioned before, as well as in the broader ecosystem, um, NYU as an entrepreneurial institute and various incubators in our engineering school. Um, so that's how we tried to address the challenge to, you know, give much, much more help and um, advice and training to, to create, you know, to help create entrepreneurs that can be successful in developing the technologies. And then I guess the second tech uh, challenge would be, um, you know, as I mentioned, we're a growing office and we need to recruit and train staff for that. And so over the last year, I guess the remote work environment that we've been in creates various challenges, particularly for, for that. I, I'd say, you know, our staff that's been here for many years um, has, you know, has adapted to the remote environment very well and technology has been there that we can work very efficiently um you know we 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 went back for a while currently for the next few weeks we're working remotely again but we've shown we can work very well in a remote environment but as you're recruiting and training staff that you know the kind of mentoring that takes place when you can just walk into someone's office and start a conversation um we have to work harder to make sure that that happens when we're not all together so that, that's been another challenge we've had, you know, over this last year that we've been trying to work through. 
So, Abram, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because this is a topic that's being discussed in tech transfers really all around the world. So I want to know, does TOV have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? Uh, yes. So, um, as I mentioned, we run a number of courses and in internships and in entrepreneurship um, and the majority of the attendees in those have been from underrepresented groups. Um, so it's not currently targeted specifically to those groups, but through these efforts, we're, we're um, you know, we're, we come into contact um, with these groups and, you know, and also as they start companies, as they look to start companies, we also offer more in-depth depth help uh, where desired. Um, I mean, in some instances, it's not needed. You know, there are a number of people, we, entrepreneurs we've worked with from underrepresented groups that have been, you know, from day one, absolutely, you know, excellent in bringing the technologies forward. But where desired, where people haven't had the same exposure to things, we're available to give that sort of assistance. And then I guess more broadly than then our office, again, as at NYU, we're part of a broader ecosystem, and there's there's an entrepreneurial institute at NYU that does have specific targeted programs for various underrepresented groups. Uh, we also have incubators uh, at NYU um, together with venture capital funds, external venture capital funds associated with those incubators, and a couple of those target um, specific groups, such as we have one particular one that targets uh, veterans that are looking to become entrepreneurs, particularly in the tech sector. That's awesome. So, yeah, so that's that's been um, certainly a way to, um, you know, provide, you know, obviously thank you and payback for all of their sacrifices for our country, uh, but but in a positive, you know, but in a a way that helps, you know, helps to create overall successes for everyone as well. Yeah, that sounds like a great program. And that's actually the first one that I've heard of for veterans. So thank you for doing that. That's that's very impressive. So switching gears again, I wanted to ask you, Abram, about the organizations that you and your team are involved in. Can you tell us a, lo a little bit about which ones those might be and what value you think they add? Uh, sure. Um so uh, probably Autumn is, you know, obviously that's, um, you know, the premier organization for um, university tech transfer. So most of us in the office have been involved with Autumn for many years, um, you know, and regularly attend meetings and speak at their meetings and help organize meetings. Um, others, the Licensing Executive Society, um, also um, uh specific industry groups such as the bio bio the biotechnology industry organization and also their new york city or new york state equivalents you know ny bio and the various chapters um of of les and we, we also have a group within new york city um, of the tech transfer offices of new york city that get together on a regular basis uh, both to share best practices and also to help promote new york city as as a destination for industry collaboration and and uh, as startup environment, so we collectively do programs where we'll well where each of the offices will prevent present some of their newest and most attractive opportunities where investors can come and hear about those, um, 
So it's in a sense one-stop shopping that you know helps to make New York City, um, you know, a desirable target for companies you know to come and work with. That's fantastic. That's one of the things that's impressed me so much about the tech transfer community is that sense of collaboration and working together. And and I think that sounds really really neat. And I'm sure it's done a lot of of really great things for New York City as well. I think you know from the time I joined you know, or came to New York City in 2000, it's really been a tremendous community here. I think everybody has worked together, you know, that a, a rising tide lifts all boats mentality. And again, when, when I came here, New York City really wasn't considered as much an entrepreneurial hub or, you know, a tech transfer hub. And through the efforts of the various tech transfer offices, um, as, as well as government groups and other groups, it, it's helped promote New York City to be, you know, to be one of the leading tech centers of the country. So I also wanted to ask your view on credentialing, Abram. Um, do you think it makes a difference? And here I'm talking about certified licensing professional or registered technology transfer professional. Yes, I think credentialing is certainly one way of showing an individual's commitment to growing in the field and enhancing their skill set. Um, I mean, there are other educational programs besides credentialing, but, you know, as with most educational um, credentials, the value is, you know, is more from the journey uh, in working towards the credential than the credential itself. And, you know, the programs that they go through and the various topics that they cover and learn and the contacts they make and, um, you know, dealing with other people in their profession, I I think has been very valuable. I mean, I personally joined the tech transfer profession before there was such credentialing. So, you know, from groups like Autumn and LES. Uh, but for example, not being a lawyer, I wasn't familiar with patent law. And you know, of course, tech transfer combines many different disciplines. And patent law was one I wasn't familiar with when I joined. Uh, but I took various courses and ultimately passed the patent bar exam, Uh which again, the credential itself is not that important, but in the process of doing it, I learned a lot from doing it. And of course, now the credentialing is is much more sophisticated. It can, you know, provide um, newcomers to the field with um, experience, not just in one, you know, in one aspect of it, but in all the aspects. And you know, that that's certainly to be applauded. Abram, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office. What would that be? Okay. Um, Let's see. So certainly first would be to continue to make a difference in society by helping to bring products to market that improve people's lives. Um, I I was fortunate to attend a bio meeting a number of years ago where one of our pharma partners showed a presentation that highlighted the transformational difference that, that our technology had made in particular individuals' lives. And, you you know, you negotiate these agreements and, you you know, you know the people you're working with um, as collaborators, but seeing the impact it has on actual people, you know, and talking about the difference it made in their lives, that was certainly very moving. And um, so, you know, most importantly, I want to continue to be able to do that. You you know, that would be certainly a top wish. Um, Also, I guess, to continue to grow as an entrepreneurial hub, Um, you know, as I mentioned, when I came to New York, both our university and New York City in general weren't viewed as an entrepreneurial hub. But, you know, through the collective efforts of 
the tech transfer community and you know various colleagues at Columbia and Rockefeller and other places uh, working together, we helped to make it a hub. Um, and then within NYU, again, both our office and working with the broader ecosystem within NYU, it grew from where we were doing two or three startups a year in the early 2000s to doing 17 or 18 a year, you know, and still growing now. So, um, so being able to contribute to, uh, you know, to making that kind of vibrant community and a vibrant ecosystem where people can learn from each other and it, um, and then it becomes not, you know, not just our formal programs, but just person to person, entrepreneur to entrepreneur. When you create that much critical mass, things really begin to take off. Um, it's been gratifying to see that happen. And it would be a goal to see that continue to happen. And I guess, let's see, you said three wishes. So if I can't wish for more wishes. No, um, no wishing for more I wishes. Close, sorry. <laughs> right. I close. uh I guess by just wishing for everybody's good health and ultimately getting back to seeing each other in the tech transfer community in person, you know, which adds so much more to the, the camaraderie that's made the, you know, the field such a pleasure to be part of over all these years. So, um, yeah, so I guess those would be my my wishes for the coming years. Yeah, those are great wishes. So thank you very much. So. Well, Abram, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's really been a delight having you on the podcast. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Uh, sure. They can send me an email um, at abram.goldfinger, uh, A-B-R-A-M dot goldfinger at nyulangone.org, um, or I'm also on LinkedIn or uh, if they look at our website, if they happen to, you know, not write that down. Uh, but I, I'd be happy to take questions or talk to anybody about, you know, any aspects of tech transfer they'd like to talk to. Well, great. Thank you so much again, Abram. It's really been great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.